I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, joined alongside, as always, with the man, the myth, the legend himself, Hooks Orpic, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us. Episode 37 of the Pensburg Pod. Garrett, who's your num- favorite number 37 in Penguins history? Well, uh, as has been the case for the last couple of weeks, we, we, uh, we don't have a lot to go on here, so I'll just make it quick. Uh, I'll say Carter Rowney is my favorite number 37, Stanley Cup champion Carter Rowney. So uh, I think he just got traded. No, 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 that was Derek Grant, former Penguin. I think Carter Rowney is still with the Anaheim Ducks. Anyway, uh, Jim, who's your favorite number 37? The Dominic Simone to, for Sidney Crosby from back in the day for Yarmir Yager was Kip Miller, a guy who just kind of hung around, did some okay things, but... Always played first line, it seemed like, no matter what, because Yager loved playing with them. So he was kind of unheralded star, for, or not star, I wouldn't say, but an unheralded player. So I will go Kip Miller. Gotta love a Dominic Simone comparison to anybody who is put on a Penguin uniform. We, we, we are certainly aware of everyone's fascination and love with Dominic Simone. But, uh, Jim, we have a lot of news to get to. We have a lot to talk about on this episode of the Pensburg Podcast, and rightfully so, with this being the first episode of the Penguin, the Pensburg Podcast uh, since the NHL's trading deadline, and the Pittsburgh Penguins were, in fact, active on deadline day, a little bit uh, more active than I thought they would be. Uh, but before we get into the trade deadline acquisitions, we have a couple of games to recap here, and not the best of results in recent times for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, the last three games that they have played since our last podcast was released were games against the Toronto uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, the Buffalo Sabers, and Washington Capitals. All three of those games ending up uh, as ending up as losses for the Penguins. So, uh, Jim, I guess we'll start from the beginning and we'll look at this this game against the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. A game in which the the Penguins lost by a score of four to nothing. Really, not a whole heck of a lot to talk about when your team doesn't 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 register a single goal on the score sheet. But Jim, this was uh, the, the Penguins and Maple Leafs were concluding a, a home and home set, uh, and um, 
after a, a pretty convincing, what I, I believe it was a 4-1 to one win in the first matchup for the Pittsburgh Penguins, a pretty convincing victory taking advantage of Toronto's rather shaky defense. Uh, Toronto comes back and responds with a 4 nothing shutout of their own. Um, Jim, I, I think the theme in these next couple of games we're going to talk about has to deal with uh, some of some defensive miscues uh, and overall just a, a lack of instability in these defensive pairings. And I think in large part that has to do with the fact that John Marino and uh, Brian Dumoulin are, are currently out, but we have got some encouraging news on them. We'll, I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit later. But Jim, looking at this four to nothing, uh, four to nothing loss at the hands of the Toronto Maple Leafs, anything else you want to add to this game? That's about it. Um, like you mentioned, the Penguins had won the prior Tuesday in convincing fashion, and um, Toronto's in much more of tougher shape for a playoff spot, and it really got talked up in the Toronto media, and those players heard it a lot that this was kind of like a season-defining moment for them after the Pens gave it to them, so you kind of figured they would they would be fired up and try to show that they were still in the thick of things, and they were. And I also agree with what you were saying about the Penguins lineup is just depleted, and they've gotten such great goaltending over the season that I think this past week it's kind of leveled off a little bit by both goalies, and when they're not going above and beyond, when they're even just average, with that defense and kind of some of the chances that they're giving up, if, if the goalies just average, it's going to be they're giving up four or five goals, and that's what we saw a lot last week. So that was kind of at Toronto to figure it out. But I guess, I guess you know, it, they split the back-to-back, so at least they could feel good about that, but probably not so good about the home game on Saturday against Buffalo, huh? No, it was it was another uh, disappointing affair for the Penguins. Uh, Jim, let's be blunt here about this game. This game was basically over by the end of the first period with Buffalo taking a 3 to nothing lead after the first 20 minutes had been played. Uh, Jack Eichel registering two goals on the night. Sam Reinhart registering a goal for the Sabres as well. Uh, Evgeny Malkin, seemingly one of the only players in this game and this 5-2 to two loss for the Penguins, seemingly one of the only players to show up. He registered the only two goals on the night for the Penguins in this loss against the Buffalo Sabres. And uh, I, I guess this was a, a little bit of a continuation of of the game uh, that they played against the, the Maple Leafs, the, the 4 to nothing loss. Um, I mean, it really... There really weren't a lot of positives to take away from this game. There, there were, there would be a couple of more positives to take away from the next game against the Capitals, but yeah, this was another disappointing performance. Something that I really didn't expect because I mean, the, the Buffalo Sabers really aren't going anywhere this year. I don't believe they're really in prime position for for a playoff hunt at at, at this point in the season. So, yeah, like you said, Jim, I really like what you said. Uh, regarding the, the goaltending that the Penguins have gotten this year, when they haven't been stellar and standing on the top of their head, uh, really in front of this uh, the, the the defense that has um, really been making these recent mistakes, it's really been concerning because you know we have we just haven't been used to watching um, all of these goals find the back of the net for the opposing team, and let's let's set something let's set the record straight here. There was a lot of overreaction to this. The, the current three-game losing streak that the Penguins are on at time of recording. I think the Penguins are in a very fortunate position, given the goaltending that they received throughout the season, to your point, Jim, that, yeah, a, th- a three-game losing streak to the Maple Leafs, the Sabres, uh, 
and the, the Washington Capitals, we'll get to in a second, the, the, the losing streak isn't great. You don't like to be on a losing streak like this at this point in the season, but I think out of all the teams competing for a playoff spot right now, even though the Metropolitan is the Metropolitan Division is very tight, you know, the, I think the Penguins can afford to not take their foot off the gas a little bit, but have at least a couple of games where, you know, maybe they're not playing at 110%. And it's going to happen over an 82-game season. You're going to get stretches like this. Really not a whole heck of a lot to take away from this game either, Jim. Is there anything you wanted to put a bow on in this game between the Sab- Sabres and Penguins? To put a bow on it, and like you were saying, um, this week they had three regulation losses back-to-back-to-back, and that hadn't happened since November 29th and 30th of last year. And it only happened one other time in regulation this whole season for October 22nd and 23rd. So um, to kind of, I guess, support what you were saying is that, yeah, the Penguins have rattled off three, four-game win streaks here and there. They've done well to take games to overtime that maybe they would have lost if not for comebacks. So they have set themselves up very well that, yeah, I don't think they're in a position to coast or anything like that, nor are they trying to. But, yeah, every team hits little bumps in the road, and especially, as I'm sure we'll get into as well, you look at um, the depth of this team this past week, and it, it was low, and even though they've kind of liked what their fourth line was doing a little bit more lately. Those guys are still playing six, seven, eight minutes a night. So the depth isn't there. And Mike Sullivan had to really just ride his top six or nine forwards and his top four defensemen. And what, and I don't know if maybe they, they felt too with some of the trade moves that they do being a little more active than I perhaps thought that maybe they're just trying to add to the strength of the team, knowing that Dumo and Marino are back add a bunch of guys up front and just hope see how the pieces come together. But that was my takeaway kind of from this game is that, you know, especially like you mentioned earlier, it seems like if Malkin doesn't do it or if Crosby doesn't do it, or if it doesn't come from the power play with Brian Rust or Patrick Hornquist, that this team just wasn't scoring a lot outside of kind of those star players making it happen. I saw that Crosby at one point had factored into like 10 of the past 15 goals the team had scored. So yeah, they needed to spread the love a little and, and stronger all around and they've had a really good year at avoiding losing streaks and we were taping this obviously right before the Wednesday game against the Kings which should be a prime chance to turn things around but you'd really think that sooner or later that they will be able to snap out of the little rut that they've gotten into these past few games. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the last game we'll talk about here in this recap segment goes, uh, it was the, the second half of a Saturday-Sunday back-to-back, a, an afternoon game, and Jim, I think we've talked about on the podcast, if not uh, in writing on Pennsburg, that uh, the, the Penguins and afternoon games go together like water and oil, it seems like. Uh, this game against the Washington Capitals, uh, really, Jim, in my opinion, I really didn't feel like the Penguins were... Uh, you know, they had a commanding stretch at any particular point in this game. There were a couple of uh, high spots in this game, don't get me wrong, but the Capitals take a one nothing lead through the end of the first period. Uh, the Penguins go up 2-1 to one by the end of the second period, and you think, okay, maybe maybe this is it. Maybe they, they, they're they they're riding the ship here. Uh, but no, the Capitals uh, the Capitals come back to, they take a 3-2 to two lead, if I'm not mistaken. Evgeny Malkin comes back to tie the game at 3 I believe it was the game-tying goal, three apiece, 
It was a pretty, pretty slick goal getting around John Carlson. That was pretty much the highlight of this game. I remember uh, reading your recap on Pennsburg that the, the, the really nice DQ made around uh, Carlson for the goal there. But yeah, really nothing. I felt that in comparison to the game that they had played the night before against the Sabres, and my, I think Mike Sullivan even said as much, he liked the way his team performed in this game, given the adversity that they faced. We know that Washington is no Buffalo um, in, in terms of, you know, the kind of team that they are. Both of these teams, the Penguins and the Capitals, are fighting for the Metropolitan Division title at this point. And uh, I think it's going to be a dogfight between now and the end of the regular season. Uh, we'll see how... Uh, how tightly contested these remaining games against the Capitals and Penguins will be. The Penguins, you know, they, they don't get the win. They lose 5-3 to three to, to the Capitals here. Um, so, like I said, Jim, there are, really, there are a couple of bright spots here, but overall not the result you're looking for in what, what, what was advertised as a, a very, very highly competitive game uh, with both teams having their sights set on winning the Metropolitan Division. Uh, anything else you want to add to the 5-3 to three loss at the hands of the Washington Capitals? I took a little more positive, I think, than you did from it, from the sound of things, because the Capitals only had 9 or 10 total shots on goal through the first two periods, and the Pens did have a lead. So um, that was something Mike Sullivan mentioned after the game. He was pretty upbeat about this one, even though the Pens lost and that they blew third-period lead to do so. That obviously didn't make anybody happy, but... Overall, especially, the Penguins had six regulars out of the lineup. They were on the road. Both teams were on the second day of a back-to-back. So there was a lot working against them. Um, you know, same conditions, so you have to play through it. But I, I kind of thought, you know, it was a dogfight, just like it always is with the Capitals. It's it's going to be close. It's going to come down to the wire. It, it always seemingly take the game takes a turn, and it's never just an easy win for either team. It's going to go back and forth a little. So we saw that, and um, yeah, it was unfortunate not to win, but overall, I didn't mind the effort, certainly through the first two periods, and I thought it was just kind of unfortunate to come out on the sh- of the, with the short end of the stick on that one. Yeah, I don't think these two teams are unevenly matched in the slightest, especially after the trade deadline acquisitions we're about to get into. So I think, you know, and we've, we've seen this before in the past, uh, on their way to a Stanley Cup victory, the, the, in a seven-game series, I think it could be win one, lose one, win one, lose one. You know, the team that seemingly always gets the, the lucky bounce here and there, the lucky goal, uh, you know, the, the, the bad goaltending miscue or what have you. You know, I, I think like we've seen over the last five to ten years, both of these teams are evenly matched. And, um, you know, obviously, like you were saying, you took a, a couple more positives away from this game, like you said. And I think, you know, as we conclude the regular season, and I think there are... Uh, what, two more matchups between the Penguins and Capitals, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, that could go a long way to deciding the division. And, you know, with with the depth that we're about to talk about now that the Penguins acquired, I think it'll be, it'll be uh, a back-and-forth heavyweight brawl that we've seen in years past. We got two more games, and both are in Pittsburgh, too, which could be important. So we'll see how it goes and shakes out down the stretch. Home, yeah, home, home ice advantage, uh, even in the regular season and fighting for a division title certainly carries some sort of merit, but it'll be interesting to see, like you said, Jim, what happens down the stretch here. And down the stretch, the Penguins go, and they will go down the stretch with what looks like a completely revamped bottom six after uh, the trade deadline on uh, what was February 24th. Yes, that was the NHL's trading deadline day, and it wasn't filled with a, a lot of the crazy action that you know, maybe past deadlines we were accustomed to seeing. You know, at one point, 
Uh, Zach Parise was rumored to move from Minnesota to the Islanders. Uh, Chris Kreider, the, the, the big trade chip that everyone thought that was going to be shipped out of New York from the Rangers. He ends up signing a long-term extension with the Rangers. He goes nowhere. But as, as it pertains to the Penguins, uh, Jim Rutherford said that he had his eyes set on acquiring a depth forward, particularly a third-line forward. And that comes in the form of longtime San Jose Shark, future Hall of Famer Patrick Marlowe. Uh, the Penguins trade Patrick Marlowe to the San Jose Sharks for a conditional third-round pick in 2021 becomes a second-round pick if the Penguins win the Stanley Cup this year. Uh, but, Jim, looking at this trade, we we know the kind of player Patrick Marlowe is at this point in his career in his age of 40 season. Uh, I don't think his hands are what they used to be, but uh, I think he still has a burst of speed to give every now and again, and I think that's why Jim Rutherford acquired him to play in Mike Sullivan's uh, speed-centric uh, system or scheme, I'll say that. I don't think it was a bad acquisition at all for what they gave up, a third-round pick for a veteran player in Marlowe who looks to help um, looks to help iron out the bottom six, provide that, that depth of veteran presence, who's looking to capture his first Stanley Cup, something that uh, he hasn't been able to do and had a chance to do uh, against the Penguins when they met the San Jose Sharks in the Stanley Cup final in 2015-16. Obviously ended up on the losing end uh, of that battle, but now Patrick Marlowe in Pittsburgh. You know, it's been a couple of days since the trade deadline, Jim. We've we've seen a lot of the, a lot of the pictures of a young Marlowe in uh, in Penguin swag in the uh, late '80s, early '90s, the Lemieux Yager era, while they were winning Stanley Cups back in those days as well. But Jim, uh, looking at what they gave up for the first trade with Patrick Marlowe, I don't have any qualms with it. I like Patrick Marlowe as a player. I don't think he is going to chip in majorly in offensive spurts, but I think he's a player that can play wherever Sullivan needs him to play, uh, top line, third line, fourth line. I think he's a, a versatile player at this point in his career. What do you think about this uh, trade that Jim Rutherford made for Patrick Marlowe? I like it a lot. It makes sense on the surface for all the reasons you mentioned. Marlowe does still have good wheels. Um, he's going to add a lot to the locker room. He's a great great guy to have around, which I think matters for a team like the Penguins. Uh the more of those kind of veteran guys you get, the better off it is. And every time the Penguins win, whether it's Bill Guerin, whether it's Ron Hainsey, Chris Kunitz towards the end, Matt Cullen, they always have those kind of settling, calming veteran influences. And Marlowe seems to be in that same kind of vein, like a good character guy. So I think that'll help too. Um, his, his skates are good. You know, he still moves pretty well. It looks like um, his hands are going down with time, which is just natural. He's not going to be a 30 goal scorer anymore, anything like that. But he's probably better than a lot of what they've had on the bottom six, like I was mentioning earlier. So that's fine. Like giving up a third round pick in 2021, that, that means it's going to be at least 2026, 2027 before that would be anything and there's probably a 70 percent chance it's not going to even be that so i have no problem whatsoever with the price the price is inconsequential for where the penguins are at the only question would be is could you have used that third round pick to get someone different someone better someone you know that that would be the the thing to me is the penguins don't have a lot of those kind of chips to trade away so did they get the best for their thing like vladimir nemestikov went for a fourth round pick in 2021 Ilya Kovalchuk kind of chose to go to the Capitals, but he was uh, traded for a third-round pick. So I, I guess it's debatable, and obviously time will tell. Will Marlowe fit the Penn system well enough to where like it's great that they added him? 
could be. Or it could be, I think, maybe they wish they looked somewhere else. But I think they're going to be happy to add his kind of personality and his kind of off-ice attributes to go along with what should add something, probably mostly for the third line. But, yeah, he's definitely going to get a shift or two with Crosby and Malkin to see how that looks as well. Yeah, it's a really good point, Jim. That was something that uh, I, I didn't even think about when describing Marlowe and the acquisition. Uh, you know, he, he's been around for a long time, and you know, he's a, he seems like that consummate professional. And um, you know, th- I think it's it's evident through what uh, teams what uh, teammates say about him. He, he just seems like an overall uh, swell guy. But uh, there was another trade that Jim Rutherford made on trade deadline day. Something that Jim, I don't know if you were expecting. I certainly wasn't expecting. Uh, Connor Sherry gets reacquired by, uh, by the Penguins and Jim Rutherford uh, in exchange for Dominic Cahoon. Uh, Connor Sherry and Evan Rodriguez, I should say, get uh, get acquired to the Penguins uh, in exchange for Dominic Cahoon. This was a trade that, uh, Jim, I didn't see coming. I don't think you saw it coming. Not much of anybody saw it coming. I think... Uh, I think when they acquired Marlowe, I thought, okay, that would be that would be it. Uh, Jim Rutherford's done all of his uh, shopping for the year. He's addressed the bottom six with the Marlowe acquisition, and uh, I thought that would be that. But no, he continued to he continued to shop. Connor Sherry's name uh, was continued continuously floated out in these trade rumors as a potential uh, bottom six acquisition. And lo and behold, Connor Sherry comes back into the black and gold after spending a couple of seasons uh, with the Buffalo Sabres. The Penguins get uh, center Evan Rodriguez as well. Uh, but I think the big talking point will be the uh, will be Connor Sherry coming back, getting reunited with very likely getting reunited with Sidney Crosby. Uh, on that top line, he's at least going to get uh, a crack at that, you would think. But uh, Jim, looking at this trade that the Penguins made to the Buffalo Sabers, um, I, I don't think Dominic Cahoon. I think Dominic Cahoon said as said as much. He didn't see the trade coming to the Sabers. Uh, I don't know if Connor Sherry and Evan Rodriguez saw that they were going to be traded on deadline day after Rutherford made his move. But I don't have many issues with this trade either. Dominic Cahoon, after starting off slow, really came into his own as the season progressed. But, you know, I don't think Dominic Cahoon was, you know, the the, the next coming uh, of of, a, of the next coming of a superstar winger. I think he's a perfectly serviceable player, but they got a two for one, basically, in Rodriguez and Sherry. I have no problem with it. Connor Sherry figures to get a crack on that top line with Crosby, I would think. Rodriguez is probably going to get a crack in the bottom six for an extended period of time, depending on injury length. Uh, Jim, do you have any thoughts on this trade uh, where the Penguins reacquire Connor Sherry and also acquire Evan Rodriguez? Yes. I do. Um, like you, this was the one that, that came out left field. You saw them trading a draft pick to add a veteran forward. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to get a guy like Marlowe. Um, to trade away something from the roster, that is very surprising, and I was surprised it was Cahoon. I I didn't think, kind of to, similar to what you said, I didn't think that Cahoon was going to be an impact player or anything. We saw him. He was what he was he was okay in, in a, a supporting role he could play on a top six line and and be a guy on a line but he wasn't standing out so I could see them looking to move on from him I'm just surprised it was in the middle of the season obviously though if you look at it and once the dust settles and that shock wears off they get back Connor Sherry who has played so well with Sidney Crosby in the past so I think if, if they get Connor Sherry back up to speed with Crosby, that's going to give you more than what Cahoon was bringing to the table. 
So, I mean, that kind of just is what it is. And I don't know if Cahoon, who got dinged up a little in the past couple of weeks and months, too, if that might have had something to do with it, too. If they thought, hey, this guy's getting a couple of injuries. Maybe we just want to cut our losses, protect ourselves, make sure we get two forwards instead of one. Because, like I said earlier, too, I really think that obviously it was a key for them that they didn't want to play guys like Andrew Agazino and Anthony Angelo on their fourth line. They want to have, they'd rather have at this point now too many forwards, whether it's Zach Hassan Reese, Evan Rodriguez, guys like that, that might be in excess now. So at least they have that, or they have Sam Lafferty as their extra guy, instead of having to rely on those kind of lesser players who are probably better off in Wilkes Bear. So that's the motivation. You can see that. Again, I guess this will be one, one two, that if Connor Sherry looks like the way he did in 2018 when he wasn't scoring that much, then this trade is going to look bad. But if he plays like he did in 2016, 2017, when he was very productive and fitting in and doing great, then I think this trade could really, really help. Or it could be somewhere in the middle. So we'll just have to see how that goes. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jim, at the end of the point that you were making, you were talking about the Penguins having... Too many forwards, and specifically too many good forwards to have. That's a good problem to have for Mike Sullivan, and that's where that's one of the big talking points that we'll move into as we move into our mailbag segment. Uh, for longtime listeners, first-time listeners of the Pensburg podcast, if you're interested in joining the mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg podcast Twitter account at Pensburg Pod. Every Tuesday, I'll I'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in our weekly mailbag segment. No question is off limits. We love getting all sorts of interaction from our listeners. And Jim, I think this is one of the bigger one of the bigger mailbag segments that we'll have. Uh, I think we have nine total questions. Uh, regarding the mailbag, and, and it's fitting, obviously, trade deadline week, a lot, to, a lot to talk about regarding the Penguins. So, Jim, you'll get first crack, like always, at the mailbag segment opener. Cole Dovecchio is back this week with another question, and he asks, what are your overall thoughts on the Metro Division competition after the trade deadline? Hey, Cole, what stands out to me here, my overall thoughts, is I really like what Carolina did as far as adding talent, mainly for the future with Vinny Trocek, and Brady Shea on defense. I think that'll help them. But it stands out to me that Carolina didn't improve their goaltending, which I think is their biggest problem and their toughest area right now. So I don't know about that. Um, the Islanders spent a lot of future assets to get Jean gabriel Pajot and Andy Green. So we'll see how that goes. They're spending like they're one piece away from making a deep run, and I don't think they are. So I'm not sure why they really did that. But... Overall, I mean, it, it's what you would expect. The teams at the top get better. And then also it catches my eye to see a team like Tampa, who in the past couple of weeks spent two first-round draft picks to get more forwards as well. So that kind of stands out as well. So it's going to be tough. Everybody's loaded up now. Everybody's ready to go. Our second question comes to us from Sammy Bagel Jr., who asks the unanswerable questions. Who do you see on what lines? Yeah, this is going to be a question that I'm sure we'll talk about throughout the rest of the season and into the playoffs. 
Um, I think these the, the lines that I'm currently looking at, I think were submitted. I think there were practice lines in one of the most recent practices. If they're not, they're very well put together. Um, I guess we'll call that a fantasy line. But here's what I have. Jason Zucker, Sidney Crosby, Connor Sherry. Like I said, Sherry looks to get a crack in that top line with Crosby. Brian Rust, Evgeny Malkin, and Patrick Hornquist. You're not splitting up Brian Rust and Malkin. You're not splitting up that duo. I think Rust has a better chance to play on the off wing the left wing than Patrick Hornquist does. So that rounds out the top six. I'll have Jared McCann, Teddy Bluger, Brandon Tanev. That's a pretty nice third line right there. Uh, Patrick Marlowe on the fourth line, Evan Rodriguez being a fourth line center and Dominic Simone rounding out that bottom six there. Jim, it really is. It's basically uh, two first line, first line and second line and basically two third lines. And you're not even considering the fact all of the injured bodies they have in Bukestad, uh, Zach Aston Reese, and we haven't even talked about the defense, John Marino and Brian Dumoulin when they get back as well. But it's really an embarrassment of riches the Penguins have right now as it pertains to their forward grouping. I'm sure it'll be a lot of mixing and matching, trying to find who works well with who uh, as the end of the regular season comes and we gear up for a playoff run. The third question uh, third question comes from Jonathan Jackson and Tony Nikonen, who ask similar questions in how will uh, the the wild card in uh, Evan Rodriguez help the team and what is the timetable on return for uh, Dumoulin, Marino, Bukestad? We need those gentlemen to get healthy. All right. Starting, I guess, with the last first, Dumoulin and Marino were at practice on Tuesday. Um, John Marino said he has another week to go which makes sense before he'll get cleared to play. That'll put him at the three-week mark from surgery. So out of all of them, I I kind of expect right now, it looks like John Marino's coming back first, maybe even after this California road trip is over. They play next next Tuesday against Ottawa. That could be a game where he's targeting a return, if not then, then soon after. Brian Dumoulin's getting back at it with a non-contact practice himself. We'll see how that goes just because he... He's been out three months now. I would think that probably is going to take more time to kick in the gear. Nick Bukestad's the wild card. He still hasn't skated with the team yet, despite going on three months himself out. And who knows with that? And that might be why they got a guy like Evan Rodriguez. Answer the other question is because maybe they don't know what to expect from Bukestad, or they don't think it's he's trending in a positive way to jump in at the end of season, where you have to be really on top of your game. So. That should be good. Evan Rodriguez is the intriguing part of the puzzle that they picked up because he he had a really good season in, in college that showed a lot of skill, and then he was just on Buffalo, and he fell out of favor there. So maybe a more talented team, a better team, does that help him out? Does that help him find a role? He can play right wing. He can play center. He can move up and down the lineup. So, yeah, I'm interested to see a lot of what Evan Rodriguez can bring to the table because he might be able to help them out quite a bit. Our next question comes to us from Commander Kern, who asks, would you want to see a slow, safe burn to the playoffs or have the Pens play like the season is on the line? Thanks, Commander Kern. Um, I don't think your question is a weird question, but I think the response, my response in particular, might be a little bit of a weird response. I'm more in favor of a safe, slower burn than playing like every night is, is you know, you're, you're battling for a Game 7. Uh, Jim, I think you used the used the expression mantle. The Penguins were mailing it in earlier in the podcast, and obviously, I don't think they're mailing it in at this point forward. But to play every game, surely they're going to say every point matters. And if they're gunning for that division title with the Capitals, maybe every point does matter. But 
I think the the possibility of burning yourself out and peaking too soon, I, I think there there's a little bit of merit to that. Maybe that's just me and uh, and you know my silly little fickle mind uh, and putting too much credence onto those weird superstitions like momentum and all of those kind of weird th- intangible things in sports. But I think having a slow burn and catching fire right at the tail end of the season or as the playoffs begin, I think that's what you want. I think you want to catch that momentum, whether you get hot hot goaltending or you get Crosby or Malkin going on a long point streak. I think I'd rather have that. uh, I think I'd rather have that at the tail end of the regular season heading into the postseason than having that now uh, at the end of February and risk, you know, losing, uh, losing steam by the middle of April heading into what you hope to be a long playoff run. Uh, question number five is from Alec Davis. He asks, when Zach Aston Reese comes back, who's the odd man out? Is Zach yeah. Aston Reese the odd man out? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, that's so far away in the future. Zach Aston Reese isn't close to coming back now. And given that it seems like when one person comes back, another drops out immediately, I would say that that's going to be firmly in the wait and see area. If somehow the Penguins are as healthy as they're going to be so like everyone's available except Jake Gensel then I would think either Evan Rodriguez or maybe even Aston Reese himself would be the candidates to drop out if but I don't know to what I was saying earlier how likely it is that Bukestad will be playing and I think that could be another big reason why they brought in three forwards at the deadline and only sent one out that could be a sign like they know they're going to need extra bodies or with all the injuries we've seen all year, they know that they're not going to take chances that, hey, when Zach Aston Reese gets back, who knows who the next guy to go down is. And they don't, I don't, you know, they're not going to want to play Sam Lafferty in the playoffs. They're not going to want to play Anthony uh, Angelo in the playoffs. So they need guys like Rodriguez and Zach Aston Reese and all the rest to get healthy and see what they've got. But at this point, it's the more the merrier, and they're just hoping to piece together four good lines and not have to rely on guys who should be in the HL. The next question comes to us from Linus J, who asks, is Phil Kessel still in the NHL? Uh, Jim and Linus, uh, last I checked, Phil Kessel is still in the NHL, uh, registering 35 points in 66 game this year. Certainly not the season that us Penguins fans are accustomed to seeing from Phil Kessel, but he only has one point in his last five games, an assist that came on February 17th against the New York Islanders. So uh, really... Uh, I'm sure it's it's not the season that Phil Kessel was hoping for, but uh, in the short term, to answer your question, Linus, yes, Phil Kessel is still in the NHL, uh, albeit you know not really producing at what we we've been accustomed to seeing over the last couple of years. Yeah, you all leave him alone. He's he's in his retirement place. You know, it's <laughs> nice weather. He's playing golf all the time. He's he's all right. Leave Phil will be. Hey, hey I, I have no problem with Phil. He's a Stanley Cup champion. I, I, I adore Phil Kessel. Uh, this one is for you. This one, Jim, comes from GD. I'll keep it simple. Uh, how will the moves affect the roster? How will these recent moves affect the roster next season? A lot of UFA and RFAs on this roster. That's a question that's really impossible to answer in February as well because Things change really quickly for the Penguins, as I'm sure everyone notices that they get players in all the time. They trade them out. I mean, could be Evan Rodriguez is a restricted free agent. They could trade him this summer. Would that be surprising? I don't think so. Um, 
I think it would be nice if they can work something out to keep Connor Sherry because it seems like he plays the best in Pittsburgh and they could use him. So maybe they'll find a way to keep him. All the re- all the restricted guys like Jared McCann will be back. Dominic Smith will be back if they want him. And then Annette, as we said here, that, that situation just gets more cloudy all the time. Who knows what how that shakes out. But they still have Casey DeSmith under contract, and both Matt Murray and Tristan Jerry are restricted. So they're not going anywhere unless the team wants them to do so. So they'll figure that out, but that's like June and July problems, and right now we're getting ready to have like April and May problems. So <laughs> that's better to have too. All right. Our second and last question is from Daniel, the first Daniel, who asks, what to do with Bugstad? Any possibility for Gensel to have a comeback in the playoffs? Yeah, Jim, you talked about it before in regards to uh, the the presence that Bukestad has on this team. We're going on, what what did you say, three months since he last played a game, uh, since he went out with that core muscle injury? So, like you and like you said, Jim, as well, maybe that's why they went out and acquired another center in Evan Rodriguez. Looking at, looking at the lines right now, uh, it's likely that if Bukestad does come back and they do play him, he's either going to play center or right, right wing. So he's not going to take over the first line, second line, or probably third line in Bluger's spot. If, I mean, if they if they do play him, maybe they they put him in that fourth line center role. They take Rodriguez out, maybe they mix and match. Um, but yeah, it could could Bukestad be in a suit and tie come playoff time? Do they maybe? I mean, we really really don't even know. He's rehabbing at, at the last time I heard about his rehab progress. He's rehabbing and progressing. But, you know, he really hasn't, even when he was healthy earlier in the season, he really wasn't making that big of an impact from what I remember. So he could be a healthy scratch depending on what's happening with the forward grouping. If Sullivan likes what he's getting from all four lines, he could be a healthy scratch, and that's just something that he would have to deal with. Uh, And any possibility for Gensel to have a comeback in the playoffs? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I think the, the early timetable when he was hurt was like, um, six to eight months, or no, four to six months, something like that. Uh, but like, if if we're talking the, if he comes back right at the beginning of that that uh, time frame where he was supposed to come back, that that four month range or six month range, whatever whatever what was the early part of the diagnosis in terms of rehab time, he could come back and and make a run and help the team. I don't think if he does come back, I don't think it would be until the second or third round. I don't think he'd be ready in time by the middle of April. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a possibility. It just depends on how deep the Penguins go into the playoffs. And, uh, Jim, our last question of the show comes from Daniel number two. Uh, We had two Daniels ask questions this week. If you were Dominic Simone, what would you have asked Patrick Marlowe in exchange for number 12? This is a really fun question. Um, maybe some of the scoring touch from the earlier days. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, <laughs> that's savagery right there. <laughs> I think the going rate is usually a watch. So probably a Rolex. <laughs> did you see, did you see that quote? Uh, I think it was a player who was traded to the Oilers and, uh, I think he wore 71. I forget who it was off the top of my head. He wore number 71. He gets traded to the Oilers and, uh, he chose a different number other than 71 because apparently the Edmonton Oilers mascot wears number 71. And there was a quote in a media scrum that said, is there a reason why you didn't choose number 71 as your jersey after you got traded? And he goes, 
uh, yeah, I think the mascot wears it, and I didn't want him to have to buy him a Rolex, so uh, I chose whatever number he picked instead. Yeah, but I, the going rate being a Rolex, I think that's pretty funny. All right, that will uh, do it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. Uh, thanks for everyone who submitted questions for this week's show. You can follow along all season long, like I said, by following the Pensburg Podcast Twitter account at Pensburg Pod. Follow Pensburg on Twitter at Pensburg, Pensburg on Facebook as well, and Pensburg.com to get all the latest news and updates surrounding the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, but for Jim Rixler, Hooks Orpik, I have been Garrett Behan. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.